the subject of uh, a biblical approach to mental health, and we've been using that passage from Timothy, uh, where he talks about how the Lord gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of, say it with me, <laughs> sound mind. This is a little bit of an awkward subject for religious people because, as you know, we often uh, are a little bit uh, awkward with the whole idea of mental health, and there can be among us uh, almost a sense that if you're a real Christian, <laughs> you, you shouldn't have any issues uh, of mental health, and uh, that may be true. I, I haven't met any real Christians, and... Um, <laughs> may be true. I think there was really only one real Christian, and I'm pretty sure they killed him. Um, uh, the rest of us are trying. Quit acting. You ain't nobody. I mean, I love you and all, but you ain't nobody. We're trying. Ahead of us is a cross and a call, and behind us is a pit, and we are journeying from the pit. <laughs> to the cross, and by way of the cross, a city set on a hill, a city coming down in New Jerusalem, and, uh, you know, Christian means Christ-like. <laughs> That's why I say I haven't met any real Christians. Um, I'm having fun with it. You understand what I'm doing. It's, it's, it's worth a, a laugh and a smile, and as a communicator, that's very valuable to me. Uh, but... The truth is, all of us are striving. We, we press toward the mark. We, we strive for the uh, uh, prize. None of us have arrived. Smile at your neighbor, say that part was for you. <laughs> None of us have arrived, and um, we're at different seasons. And honestly, you don't even really know how good you're doing. You may have been given much and doing little. Hallelujah. You may have been given little and actually are doing much. The Lord knows, though. And he has chosen to work with us, flawed, broken, imperfect us. He's chosen to love us like children. This isn't uh, an Olympiad where you do your best, and the first angel says, 7.3. And the second angel says, 6.9. And the third angel is always negative, 4.2. <laughs> That's not what this is. This is much more like a, a family of God. And in this house, you have children with different giftings, yeah. children with different personalities, children with different makeups. And uh, each of your children have to find their place in the world, and they have to deal with the uncertainty of life. Some people are healthy. Some people aren't. Uh, some people have uh, physical problems. Some people have mental problems. And the church is the great <laughs> catch-all of all we who are broken. That's right. The church is in, imperfect for a reason. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any of us here. It's flawed for a reason. At some point, church hurt becomes a celebration of your ego and an excuse for your errors. <clears throat> Did that come out as bad as it sounded to me? <laughs> At some point, they hurt you, but okay, okay, okay. Now what? And we go back to God and we remind ourselves that 
God uses the church, but God isn't the church. He is in the church, but I can't blame God for what people did to me. And I have to go back and be renewed in my spirit and let him make something beautiful out of the hot mess of my past. And so uh, this difficult subject, we can miss it on both sides. We can miss it like a conservative and say, oh, well, if you have mental health issues, then you're not a real Christian. We can miss it like a liberal and say, well, as long as you just need encouragement, you know, the church is here for you. But if you have real mental health issues, you need to go get a doctor and let them write you a script. You can miss it either way. The reality is, is that we can, are you ready for this? I don't think you are, because I'm nervous about saying, you can actually love Jesus as best as you're able and have mental health issues. Um, I'll talk about this stuff more next week, but um, we are on the second uh, sermon of this uh, series called A Sound Mind. Now, I missed a Sunday. Uh, thank you for allowing me to do that. Truth is, I was going to do it whether you let me or not, but I appreciate you allowing me. And so uh, our team, didn't our team do a great job? We were so honored and blessed to have a tremendous team, both in worship and in word. And so I want to go over the biblical approach to finding your purpose in life. Now, next week, I'm going to try to make it more practical, and I'm going to try to give you an object lesson next week on the difficulty of what it's like trying to get the various parts of your life, your potential, your becoming, your meaning, try to get that in an order. Uh, This week, I want to start by establishing and really nailing down the biblical approach to why we are here. The biblical approach of what the purpose of believers in the earth actually is. And I want to uh, start with just acknowledging that having and living with a sense of purpose in your life is essential. It's one of the healthiest things you can do. To have foundation, somebody say amen, to have a purpose for the alarm clock and something to hope for beyond the weekend, Uh, to guide your behavior, to make decisions, to attain goals. It's going to include a lot of things. It's going to include your individual becoming, you finding your potential as one who has been gifted this thing called life by God, placed in the garden of God's creation, and given dominion over that world, and you decide to care for it. You decide, like Adam and Eve in the garden, You, the Lord will give it to you, but he won't take care of it for you. You tend the garden. Your language, your spoken word is going to define things in their entity. If you say it's good, it'll be good. If you say it's terrible, it won't be so good. You will have tossed away the gift of God as though it was something you deserved all along. And your entitlement will destroy your potential. Uh, There is this reality in our lives that we have to struggle through uh, raising families and making a difference in our community and following passions and organizing passions and, yes, disciplining passions and uh, finding success in career and uh, bringing happiness to people we care about and living with the 
positive, hopefully, but if not, definitely negative aspects of the struggle of being, living, and becoming. And so uh, I want to uh, point out to you a few things here at the outset. I want you to acknowledge in your own heart and in your life that people with a strong sense of purpose have much healthier behaviors and make much better lifestyle choices than people who do not have that. This is not my opinion. This is the science. A study in 2013 found that individuals with a strong sense of purpose in life were better at stress management. They actually slept better. You could score their sleeping with all of the tools involved in that. They slept better. They had better nights and better days than people who did not have a sense of purpose in their life. And yet, only about one in four adults in the first world confess that they live with a strong sense of purpose. 75% of people are uncertain about purpose. They are uncertain about uh, why, what, who, and how. And they are simply enduring, not flourishing. And I want all of you to, in your own life, be able to give a testimony of doing more than enduring. Come on. Don't just make it. Be an overcomer. Don't just hold on till the bitter end. Go from victory to victory, from hope to hope, from joy to joy. He has not given you the promises of the word so you can just make, make it. He has done it so your joy might be full. Come on, somebody. Having a sense of meaning means you seek meaning beyond yourself. And it comes from both a sense of self-knowledge and a sense of an individual becoming as though to say your meaning must be created by your choices, not found by serendipity. You must discover it through action, choosing, working, giving, being a a generous-hearted individual, including others, facing tough questions, but finding a healthy way to answer them or at least answer them enough where you kill their ability to haunt you. You have to find a way. Again, back to the study. This is not my opinion. This is the study. Find a way to donate your time, even your money, your talent. Find a way to explore different interests to find out what you love. Don't let your fear limit your quest to find out what you love. How did God make me? Your uniqueness is very much part of your God-giftedness. Some of you are natural entrepreneurs. When you come up with an idea and you start a, co- a business, a company, uh, a consultancy, a uh, YouTube channel, Lord, whatever you do, it is part of who you are. It is not simply distraction. It is part of your God-giftedness. If you let the glass ceiling of your fear stop your exploration function, you perhaps will live most of your life without having ever ran into what you really, really enjoy and or are good at. 
uh, you could see how the world around you is broken and commit yourself to binding up the wounds of the broken world in which you are in. You should open your heart and meet new people. You should show kindness to people. You should lot, You should reject the culture of fear that makes you hide on the off chance that someone would disapprove of you. The truth is that one person that would disapprove you is not worth the individuals who might become a lifelong friend. In fact, the person who would disapprove of you probably could be placed safely in a category, let's call it file 13, people that can be ignored. Can I have a better amen than that? Don't be afraid of the critic. Ask yourself if you respect their opinion. If you do, ask for feedback. Feedback is a blessing. The truth will make you free. If you don't respect their opinion, baby, wash your hands. Move along. Surround yourself with people who are choosing to fulfill their God-giftedness by giving in response to God's gift the character-founded effort of being willing to work. Yes. There comes a point of your development where God tells you you are able. And he stops saying, I am able. When you're in Egypt, he's able. But you're not going to stay in Egypt. You're going to get to a promised land. And the Lord's going to have a come to Jesus meeting. You see how that works, a come to Jesus meeting? You're going to have a come to Jesus meeting in the desert, and he's going to say, I know I can take you out of Egypt. It's time for you to say, I am able. You've got to become. All right, let me move along. What does it mean to have a biblical approach to finding our purpose, being who we want, need, and are capable of being? How do we establish that biblically? Uh, I want to uh, use the themes that uh, are founded in the most famous book ever written about the issue of finding your purpose within the context of uh, uh, Christian faith. It has sold more, I believe, than all the other books on finding your uh, purpose combined. And I actually think you could multiply some number of all the other books sold on finding your purpose, and it still would not be as much as Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. I have read it more than once. Some of you may or may not like Rick Warren. I have immense respect for him. And I, uh, having uh, been somewhat exposed to him, have no problem saying that even from a pulpit. In this book that I highly recommend, he gives us the five biblical purposes of your reason for existence. This is Christian existentialism, (laughs) the study of why I am here. It is given to us in the scripture, and I want to start with this because uh, I want to establish this. I want to make sure you're all on the same page. I want to ask you to renew your commitment to this today, and uh, perhaps next week we'll talk about the practical perspective of the same biblical uh, subject. So the first reason that you have been placed by God in this moment, in this time, is you were created to be a worshiper. Somebody say, I was created to be a worshiper. Now elbow your neighbor, say, how are you doing with that? 
See, here's the thing. Um, uh, church does really good, really, really good at these principles on Sunday. The church does really good with telling you you should be a worshiper on Sunday. Sunday. We are amazing at telling you you should lift up your hands and lift up your voice and give God a shout of praise. Come on, somebody. On Sunday, uh, it is quite easy for you to uh, get in the house of the Lord uh, and do what you need to do. And like we used to say when we were going up, cut a rug in Jesus' name. And if you're of a certain kind of people, do like Brother Paul and run the aisles a little bit this morning. Y'all ain't never seen someone run the aisles, so Brother Paul runs the aisles. He's so fast, he's around the third time before you know anybody's running the aisles. I stopped by Nicole, his wife, and I said, I need you to get out in the aisle like your husband. She said, there's only one runner in this family. <laughs> um, so... Uh, uh, I just want to say, on Sundays, we do a good job, and hopefully you sit by somebody who's gifted at leading in worship, and hopefully we have somebody in, like Sister Kiara, who's gifted in leading us in worship, and, and, and thankful we're so blessed to have our band and our musicians, and uh, we got all the different, it's all, we do good on Sundays. I got Sunday covered, y'all. <laughs> The problem with purpose and living out this idea of Christian existence, uh, uh, the problem is not Sunday. I wish I had someone echo that back at me. I'm going to say it. You say it back at me. The problem's not Sunday. You were created to be a worshiper on Monday, too. Now we're getting closer to the problem. Because all of us develop our coping mechanisms. We all have that speed dial. When someone's mean to you, you have two or three people you call. That's, that's it. And if you're a woman, you only have one to two people you call. Uh, with, with men, it's, 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 it's more because uh, you know all three of them are not going to be interested in you having a bad day. Uh, with women, y'all do all that business better. But the primary reason we are here, we are created, is for God's pleasure. You ought to be a worshiper. Worship, I wish someone would hear me, worship is not about whether or not you are worthy of worship. You aren't worthy of worship. Stop it already. Get out of your little, get off your little uh, uh, Pharisee witch's broom. Quit deciding who's worthy to worship. You were created to worship. You were created to worship. Now, there is a gradation of it. There is a, a way to uh, do higher and higher worship. You begin in praise. Everything, everybody should praise the Lord. You don't just praise the Lord if you've been living right. You praise the Lord uh, whether you hadn't been living right because let everything with that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. The trees praise the Lord. The ducks praise the Lord. The birds praise the Lord. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. You start right there. You don't praise because he needs it. You praise because you need it. And so uh, that can lead to presence, presence, presence. I'm preaching a different message. What intended to preach that? Why do I talk about praise leads to presence? Well, the Bible tells you. I didn't make this stuff up. He inhabits the what? I'm trying, Pastor Don. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. Praise leads to an it's an invitation to his presence. That's why if you're wanting more of God in your life, you need to get better at living out your praise. 
If you want more of his presence, he inhabits the praise. If you're wanting to explore the gifts of his presence, the gifts of the spirit, uh, the gift of tongues, which is one of the signs that we in the Pentecostal tradition, uh, uh, we, we hold fast to. We don't want you to write it off. We want to stand in the promises of the book of Acts and say, it's for you. How do I get to that place where I could surrender into that gift of tongues through praise? Amen. So you were created for God's pleasure and you will need to find something to worship. Whether or not you choose God, your creator, as your worship. You worship something. It may be a football team. Uh, it may be a band. It may be the money that you have in your wallet. It may be some false delusional idea of yourself. But if anybody touches your idol, you're ready to kill them, man. You, you can't take it because you need to worship something. Amen. And so um, here you were created for. Get it right. The biblical approach to mental health is make sure I'm living with a sense of reflecting everything that is to the one who gave it, the source. Everything returns to its source. Everything goes back to its origin. And so every good thing in us, we reflect it back to God. We lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. I'm telling you, if it uh, this, it, this won't necessarily fix issues of mental anxiety, tension, and even illness. It won't fix it, but it is the beginning of a journey to fixing it. And so, uh, secondly, the reason why we are here, this Christian existence, the reason why uh, we uh, do what we do and the foundation of a biblical approach to mental health is to uh, live in fellowship. Let me say it this way. You were formed to be a part of a family. Um, you can deny this, and many people do. You can pretend uh, in some way to uh, be better than other people. It may be reassuring to you. You may have grew up in a religious environment that really the only way to get it right is to be clear about how you th who you think is getting it wrong. Um, you may have grown up in a very, uh, how shall I say, uh, uh, circular reasoning type of religious reassurance where I, I know I'm going to heaven because I met Dusty and he ain't going to heaven. You know, not really. He's probably a better Christian than me. And his son's already checking on him. See, we got, we got, the, we got the, the, the moral police going on right here. Dad, he's preaching to you. The altar's right there. Tell him, say, don't, 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 let, don't let me hold you back, brother. Don't let me hold you back. Um, the, the, point being, <laughs> the point being here is we were created for family. We were created to be a part of uh, the family of God. That means that you are not enough for you. You need meaningful relationships. And if you're broken, you will try to use those meaningful relationships as a replacement for something, and you will continue the, the, how shall I say, the cycle, the dysfunctional cycle. A relationship given in your life, placed by God, you need it, but it cannot be a replacement for something else that you need also. This is why so many people, they think if I were married, then I would be happy. And that's what single people say. And then married people say, if I were single, then I, I would be happy. And married people want to be single, and single people want to be married. Ain't nobody happy. <laughs> um, it's human nature to not get it, to miss it. I just want to say I'm happy. Y'all make me date again. I'm going to kill somebody. That's all I have to say right there. Um, 
Uh, the point being is you're created for family. You need one another. Uh, the person in the church who you don't get along with, you need them because they are part of the potter's will in your life. And your daily or Sunday, <laughs> your Sunday, your weekly quieting when you want to bite back and you want to, the person, in other words, that gets on your nerve may be part of the process. Offenses must come. Offenses must come. And I just want to be a blessing. <laughs> worship. You're created for worship. Secondly, you need fellowship. You need fellowship. Um, church is primarily about that fellowship. I, I was talking to a, a very, very nice lady who uh, uh, yesterday gave me a haircut. And um, she talked about how much she was a person of, of faith and faith, but she, she didn't go to church. She didn't go to church. And um, faith, 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 but didn't go to church, get in her church. And uh, she told me after a little while, she said, first of all, you don't look like a preacher. And I said, well, I don't know if that's a personal failure. She said, you're just too cool to be a preacher. And I said, you know, I agree with you. <laughs> And really, I did say that. Um, <laughs> um, she said, also, you don't, you don't talk like a preacher. You don't talk like a preacher. I said, what, I'm not judgy enough for you? She said, that's it. I said, look, here's the deal about being a person of faith and the church experience. The church is imperfect, and it is not designed that way. That's why we all get to be in it. That's right. <laughs> Jesus chose 12, and one of them was a devil. And he was Jesus. If all you need to quit the church is to find a devil, you wouldn't have made it following Jesus either. So you can be mad at me, mad at Pastor Don, mad at Pastor Ed, mad at Pastor Lisa, mad at, you get the idea. But you wouldn't have made it follow Jesus because all you needed was to find a devil to justify your desire to live like one. Oh, let me stop. Um, let, let, let me stop. The point is, is that the church is not primarily about top-down police state. It's not. You may have grown up one that felt that way, but it's not. If you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here. If you don't want to support what the church does, you don't have to support what the church does. What the church is really about is not policing your faith. The really what the church is about is to create a community of fellowship and service. I can do more adding my gifts with Don than I can do keeping my gifts alone. He's going to be good at things I'm not good at. You see what I'm saying? I can do more serving the kingdom of God by getting my abilities, talents, and resources uh, and get them together with Brother Tim and uh, us working together than I can do. Look, if you want to go fast, try to do it alone. If you want to go far, go with other people. Uh, this is, you were created for fellowship, and the biblical approach to mental health is to acknowledge this, yes. to acknowledge this, and uh, you were formed for family, and families are imperfect, and families will drive you crazy, and you need your family. Yeah. Amen. 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 It involves fellowship, support, love, acceptance. Have you ever left a family meeting and you thought to yourself, you know, if we weren't family, we would have nothing to see each other over? Yes. Yep. Well, that was a big amen from some people. <laughs> They're, my God, preach it, preach it. That's what I, hi-ya, shundo. <laughs> I know I'm bothering this a lot, but my clip was, somebody stole the clip that I have that holds this up here. And so if you stole this clip, I'm, I'm gonna pray you stub your toe. Uh, no more, just your toe, but maybe four or five of them. Anyway, moving along. Um, the third biblical 
purpose. What were they? We were created to worship. We were created for fellowship. And third, we have to grow in discipleship. We do not become like Christ just because we repented of our sins. Come on now. We are covered by his righteousness, but we have not become like him until the fruit of the Spirit begin to grow in the soil of our lives. Because it is the fruit of the Spirit that is actually Christ-likeness. That takes time. In other words, you have to make a commitment to real spiritual discipleship. You have to read, learn, emulate, humble yourself, corral your tongue, Come on now. I know it's the red devil behind the pearly white gates, but I'm telling you, you've got to work on it. This is discipleship. You were created by God to have a sense of calling, destiny, and purpose, something you're working toward. If you don't do that, you will have a sense of missing something fundamental in your life. Let me move quickly along because I'm, 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 I'm wandering in these hills a little bit too much, and I don't think I found any gold yet, so I need to keep along moving here. Number four, um, you were created for ministry. You need to serve other people. So real quick, I was created for God's pleasure. That's worship. I was created for God's family. That's fellowship. I was created to become like him, to manifest his character and nature in my world. For I was created for serving, just as redemption is in the heart of God. How many times in the Old Testament does and the New Testament do we have some image of this. I'm not doing this for the reasons you think I'm doing it. I'm doing it for my name's sake. This is who I am. It is the Redeemer did not have to be developed in God. The Redeemer was who he was. And we, in same manner, are called to serve one another with unique gifts and talents. And the purpose of this actually is part of your mental health, to be able to serve other people, to make a difference in your world. Even if you won life's lotteries and you became an overnight sensation, you would quickly find that there is a hollowness to it. And one of the first things that people who have this experience do is form some type of a foundation where they can give, where they can help, where they can share. Because at the end of your imaginary and real lusts is the reality that I was created to do something to help others. I don't want to just be a disturbance in the sand that every wave that rolls out of the sea washes back to a type of blank slate of sand. I want to make a difference. You are created for that. And finally, your fifth biblical God-given, God-ordained purpose was uh, to share God's message. In other words, to live a missional life, to tell other people that they can find life-changing joy, peace, comfort, hope in the promises of God, and their life can make a difference if they will believe and commit to this journey. Yes. Satan comes along, and how does Satan disrupt this? If these are the five biblical purposes as to why you're created, uh, Satan would like to come along and lure you from that missional 
divine, purposeful life to a different kind of life. He knows a lot about it because it's the life that he chose. And having lost the battle in heaven, he realized the only thing he could do, having uh, recently been educated, that he could not harm God. God was high and lifted up. And there's nothing he could do to harm God. The only thing he had left to do is to try to harm what God loves. That's how he came to your house. He can't win in heaven. So he thought he would take God's garden and turn it into hell. And he shows up and he invites Adam and Eve to do exactly what he did. Set aside God-given purpose. Lay aside the biblical foundations for mental health and you live your life as though you are your own purpose. Come on now. You live your life as though you are your own purpose. Lucifer does not ask Eve to worship him. He does not ask Eve to play a Ouija board with him. He does not kill a chicken and dance around the corpse of it. He does not try to use sensationalism. He does not try to use super spirituality. He does not try to reveal his, who knows, feathered reptilian hide in some glorious demonstration of Hollywood-esque special effects. He said, no, there's a much shorter path to missing God's purpose than that. Just serve yourself. Can I bring it home? So if church humored me, I like it. And if church blessed me, I'll show up. And if the church in some way does what I want them to do, I'm in. But the moment you do something I don't like, I just want you to know I'm serving me around here. Come on now. And I want you all to know there's a reason I'm pointing at me. Because preaching like this misses the mark unless we're all on our knees before the cross saying, not my will, but thy will be done. Satan doesn't tell you you don't need a purpose. He just says, hey, be your own purpose. He doesn't tell you you can live without a purpose. He just says, let your life be your purpose. And this leads us, this leads us, this purpose, we need a purpose. We've talked about that. We've established the biblical approach to having a purpose in our life, how God created us. Uh, This leads us when we become our own purpose and we abandon the, uh, how shall we say, the hierarchy of spiritual needs, uh, spiritual investment, the gifts of God in our life, we abandon that to serve ourselves. And the only thing that matters is me getting what I want. Come on. And me living my best life and me flexing on social media. If the only thing that matters is me, the question becomes, what do you value? All right. And who are you if the only thing you can value is me? This is where, and I don't have time to create a type of 
formula of causality. I don't have a calculus of, you know, an incantation of this causes this, this causes this. Uh, so often we in the West, we think the solution to everything is a, a, a calculation. And what we realize quickly is that uh, our mysteries do not respond to our calculus. After we've added and summed all our numbers, the mystery laughs at us. And so here is where I think this leads. If you live your life, or you are your own purpose, you will quickly come to the realization that the only thing you can value is you. Why does that set you up for mental health issues? Because your value must be built on something more enduring than yourself. Or you fall into a pit called nihilism, which goes like this. Nothing matters. I might as well try to enjoy as much as I can enjoy. There's no right. There's no wrong. I might as well just try to be who I can be and get what I can get. There's no reason to live in the gentler uh, arenas of life and the better angels of our nature. There's no reason to prefer family. There's no reason to invest in friendships because after all, I have a continuing spreadsheet going in my mind and I'm always weighing everything and everybody in my life and trying to figure out if you're worth investing in today. When the only thing you can worship is you, when the only purpose in your life is you, you are stuck in nihilism and you stare at the heavens and rather than them declaring the glory of God, they point out how pitiful and small you are and you are at horror of the immensity which should have put you in a mindset of worship. Uh, this all is in some way, and this isn't a calculus. This is, this is just a, a thematic, a type of, of thinking, uh, uh, of handling the mystery here together in this, in this moment where we seek the presence of the Lord in our life. My value must be built on something more enduring than myself. So I fall into this snare. Remember our need for community? I decide I have value if my peer group thinks I have value, which in order to impress my peer group requires me to live a certain kind of deception. And so that's where all the social media flexing comes. I try to make you think my life is better than it really is. I try to make you think that I'm prettier than I actually am. I try to act, show you that my trip to the mall was just the best thing ever. And oh my God, the ice cream. I'm flexing, I'm flexing, flexing. There's a trick. There's a swap here. There's an error. Impressing your peer groups sets you up you were wanting to impress yourself by them being impressed with you. Instead, they saw through you and they disliked you for your need to pretend you were better than others. And rather than getting, you see this dysfunctional circle here? Rather than getting acceptance and approval from them, you get a cold shoulder of competitive dislike. 
and then why does it mean anything? Maybe if I trade up to a new car, a new career, a new degree, maybe if I get a new house, then I'll get that acceptance that I need from community. So look, guys, this trip I made was the best trip ever. You've been to Orlando too, but mine was magic in the magic kingdom. They're tired of you pretending to be better. And so they withhold what you were looking for. What have you done? You've created a trap for yourself. Um, I warned you all at the beginning this would not be a shouting series. So musicians come and try to help me save this, this, this uh, moment here. Why is this all a problem for mental health? Well, my value must be built on something more enduring than myself or it will not survive the storms, the pain, and ultimately the age that will end me. My value has to be built on something more than that. I will tend to make errors of judging my value on the opinion of my peer groups, but I will have made a mistake because my peer group is no more enduring than I am. I need to find something eternal. I need to find something that has foundations, a city where the lamb is the light. I need to find a hope bigger than this life. I need to connect with a calling, an ability. I need to find a way to join my Lord and Savior in the great mission of making a broken world whole. I need my prayers to make a difference in somebody's life. I need to be a worshiper, not just on Sunday. Lots of people are worshipers on Sunday. I need to address the problems of the week with worship. I need to address the fears of the late hours with worship. (laughs) I need to find what I can do to bless my brothers and sisters. I need to find what I can do joining with other imperfect people who the truth is they don't like me all the time either. And I get on their nerves too. But we recognize we're more together than we are apart. And we recognize as the one who put us together. Amen. Knew what he was doing. And so we, as a believer, live the life of a believer. You can be a believer and still be broken. We'll talk about that more next week. You can be a believer and still have challenges. You can be a Christian and still wrestle with issues. But the difference is underneath the life of the believer is real foundations. And this is where that scripture where uh, I love the patriarch looking for a city that hath what? Foundations. I'm not saying it's the only city. I'm saying it's a city that's built on something. And even if what we had was torn down, it could be, it would be okay because underneath are the everlasting arms. It has foundations. It's worth building and rebuilding. Why? It hath foundations. The builder of it, the origin of it, the giver of it was and is God. This is the difference in the Christian way of being. We're not saying we're perfect. We're not saying we're better. God knows that any any real evaluation of God's holiness does not leave you flexing. It leaves you humbled on your face. And so uh, that's not what we're trying to do. Although 
sometimes we fall into a habit, and it's usually the mistake of looking too much at ourselves and not the Lord. To look at ourselves is to self-deceive and to try to uh, misrepresent ourselves. To look at the Lord is to say with Isaiah, woe is me, I am undone. Or like favorite translation, I am ruined. <laughs> there is nothing for me to save here. I need your righteousness. I am imploring everyone in this house, those of you watching online, build a life with foundations. Build a life with foundations. Stand with me all across the house. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.